Bonjour and bienvenue to Little Bell's Francophiles. Je m'appelle Lou and in this podcast I will help you to keep your Frenchy vibes flattering and help you to lose yourself in France without even leaving home. In each episode we chat about our French experiences with guests who live in Australia, in France and right around the world and we share ideas for how to satisfy the Francophile within you. Francophilers can now also subscribe to my YouTube channel, Francophile Fix, where I post little movies and clips to keep us all connected to France. Find the link to the Francophile Fix YouTube channel in the show notes from today's episode, as well as the Little Bells Francophiles website, Instagram, and a fabulous Frenchie Spotify playlist. Alors, aujourd'hui, my guest provides a wonderful escape to Provence for Francophiles around the world. Patricia Sands is the author of the Love in Provence trilogy, the Villa de Violette series, and a number of other novels. Bienvenue to Little Bell's Francophiles, Patricia, ça va? Hey, Little Bell, I am absolutely thrilled to be here. Enchanté. Oh, I'm so thrilled to be chatting to you too. I have so many questions for you, Patricia. I'm really not quite sure where to start. But firstly, you live a couple of hours from Toronto in Canada, but you call Provence your second home. How did that come about? How did your love of France come about? Well, it started a long time ago when I had just finished university and was 21 and backpacking in Europe with some friends, oh. uh, as we did back in those yeah. days in the late 60s. Yeah. And uh, air travel had just become very inexpensive uh, from Canada. It was with a company called Ward Air. Mm-hmm. So everybody was over there. And it was wonderful and, and great fun. And uh, at one point, we ended up in the south of France, in Nice and Monaco and then Antibes. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was smitten. <laughs> and uh, fortunately, throughout my life, I had many opportunities to return with my first husband, who was with Kodak, and he went to Europe quite often on business. Mm-hmm. And then later in my life, I had been widowed. And after I remarried uh, in my 50s, my husband and I traveled to Europe a lot. He had gone to the University of Vienna. So he he loved the European way of life. And we ended up going to the south of France together, um, I guess, 26 years ago now. And it just happened that very good friends of ours from Toronto had a home in Menton. And uh, we were visiting with them and they said, hey, you want to switch with us next summer and uh, come and stay at our place for a month and we'll go stay at your place because we'd really like to spend some time back in Toronto. So that began our first experience with home exchange. Now, granted, this was with very good friends, but we discovered that we just loved living like a local. Yes. We loved being in one place. My husband was a crazy mad driver who loved all the (laughs) teeny tiny roads, always drove a stick ship. So we were constantly going on day trips, but we stayed in the same place for the whole month. And we just loved that. Yeah. So that began us. I mean, we've ended up, we've done 17 home exchanges. Oh, my goodness. And always for at least a month and sometimes a couple of months. 
And uh, we did all our home exchanges through a company called homelink.org. Yeah. That's been going for 60 or 70 years. They were doing home exchanges when you had to fax each other. And, oh, really? And you get a really thick book with all the listings. And of course, then when the internet came along, it just made everything so much easier. Yeah. And uh, we never had any bad experiences. In fact, you know, we ended up becoming friends with most of the people we exchanged with. Oh, that's lovely. That's fabulous. I highly recommend it to people. And that's yeah. why in my first Provence book, I have Kat, my uh, protagonist. Yes. The first time she goes to France, it's on a home exchange. Oh, of and, course. Uh, yeah. yeah. So that's uh, that's what we've done for the you know last 25 years before COVID. And yeah. um, every once in a while, we would rent mm-hmm. if we couldn't find a place for the right time. Uh, or in the right location, but most of the time it wasn't a problem. Sometimes we exchanged with the same people for three years in a row. Right. We had a house in Florida that we also used as our exchange house. Yeah. And so people could choose Toronto or Florida to change with you, yeah? Yeah. Mm. And um, that worked out really well. The longest we spent over there was uh, one year we rented an apartment in Antibes for five months when I was writing my first uh, Love in Provence book. Right. Okay. Uh, Otherwise, we were there usually for two or three months. It's funny when I hear you say Monton and uh, Antibes because I actually live in an area of Melbourne called Mentone, which is named after Monton. And it has all the streets <laughs> names or a lot of the streets names are those names. So Antibes is in our little Mentone, it's Antibes. So it's all these anglicized oh. ways of saying it. And when I see it on the map, I'm wrestling in my head. Do I say, is it my French head or my English head saying it? It's really quite funny. <laughs> now your first book, The Bridge Club, has had rave reviews that I've been reading. It's a story of friendship of the bond of women and as a 50-something-year-old woman, I really identify with the concept and the characters as I've got my own little circle of beautiful girlfriends and in our little group we've traversed, oh, goodness, grief, divorce, disability, depression, as well as just the -the run-of-the-mill humdrum stuff of regular life. Tell me about your group of women in the Bridge Club. Right, well, um That's how I stumbled into becoming an author, actually, was writing that book. I had no intention. It was never part of my life plan to be um, writing novels. Mm. Uh, And it's just a wonderful new chapter, you know, later in life. So I wrote The Bridge Club, and based on my real-life Bridge Club, we all got to know each other in our late teens, early 20s. But some of the women have known each other since they were born. Yeah. And um, their families were friends. And uh, here we are now uh, in our 70s, and and we're all still very close friends. We don't always, we don't live near each other like we used to, but we we Zoom at least once a month. And uh, yeah, we're still very, very close. So it was really fun writing that book. And, you know, they started pushing me to think about publishing. I had just written it just to fill in time because my husband had just retired and, um, or semi-retired and a lot of his health issues had kicked in and we couldn't play golf and tennis as much together as we used to. Mm. So, um, you know, I was home more. I used to be a teacher, so I'm sort of used to talking a lot. Yeah. Anyway, I wrote the book. 
And that started the whole journey in writing. And well, I realized I wanted to write something else because readers would email me and say, we loved your book. What else have you written? And I'm like, well, nothing. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and a lot of what I heard was we really love reading about women who have a, a few years of life behind them. Yeah. About more yeah. mature protagonists who aren't in their 30s. Mm. So even though the book starts with these women in their 30s. So um, that's when I realized, okay, I really love writing about more mature women. And I really want to set my next book in the south of France because I was just so enamored with that part of the world. So that's how that all got started. And I actually went back with the Bridge Club two years ago. I wrote a 10th anniversary edition. And I added some new content at the end, and I took some of the women to the south of France. Oh, really? Oh, that's great. Because at that point, France wasn't mentioned. Uh, They did go to Italy on a vacation once. Yeah, yeah. So So you've made the full loop. You've brought it back full circle. That's right. Yeah. That's right, exactly. Well, since the Bridge Club, you've had a focus on France, obviously, in your Loving Provence trilogy and the novel Drawing Lessons. Is any of that autobiographical? I know you said that you based it on a home exchange for Cat, but are any of those books that you've written autobiographical from your vacations and home exchanges in Provence? Well, they're all autobiographical in that they are set in places where I've spent a lot of time. And uh, I mean, in in the Bridge Club, there is a chapter that is definitely my story about when my first husband became ill and passed Mm. away. Mm. Uh, And that was this chapter dealing with grief and early widowhood and all that sort of thing. Mm. But um, after that, the the Provence books, The Promise of Provence was the the first one. You know, there are aspects, uh, I think, and most authors will tell you this, that uh, there are aspects of my uh, protagonist that I definitely draw upon from my own experience. Uh, she loved to bike. She mm. was a photographer mm. um, and, uh, you know, things like that. Yeah. But her story definitely is not my story. Yeah. But um, her reaction to being in the south of France is definitely, definitely your reaction. My story. <laughs> I love that you, like you said before, I love that you write for mature women because we don't see enough of ourselves in what's being played out sometimes either in the media or in novels or or in even just hearing the stories of older women, even if they are only part autobiographical and part pulled together from a whole lot of different places, even just places in your own imagination. It's so Mm -hmm. refreshing to see characters in whom we can recognise bits of ourselves. I think that's a really special gift that you give to a lot of mature women because we don't get it much. Well, thank you. And, I mean, I feel the same way when I read novels by other writers and, uh, you know, and the characters are uh, women closer to my age. Yeah. yeah, definitely. Well, after some urging from readers, because you said you had urging for after the Bridge Club to write more, and then after the Love and Provence trilogy, you had pressure to do more again. So you brought those characters back for the Villa de Violette series. Yes. Now I've yes. seen that there's a fourth book coming soon. Is that right? Well, it's not coming as soon as I had hoped it would be, but I, I think next year it probably will. Oh, Ripper. Um, That's great. What happened was I actually self-published The Bridge Club. Yeah. And because I was in my 60s, it was my first novel. 
of course, I, you know, learned all about querying publishers and literary agents and that kind of thing and did all that. But I mean, you know, 60 something first time author, it's not high on the wish list of yeah. most publishing. <laughs> no, <laughs> you know, it's like, well, no. who is this? Lady they're, 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 like I said, they're so, not that enamored with mature women. So there you go. Yeah. And it was at a time when uh, publishing was changing, the dynamics were changing, yeah. and uh, self-publishing was becoming far more a way to go. Yeah. And uh, so after I read about a couple of successful authors who had also self-published, that's why I decided to go that route, did that with The Bridge Club, with The Promise of Provence. After I published The Promise of Provence, which is really quite a hefty book, it's yeah. 400 pages, mm. and had I realized it was going to be a series I wouldn't have made it that long, but mm-hmm. I had no thought of that, except that then I started getting emails from readers saying, oh, my gosh, well, so what happened next? I mean, what did <laughs> Catherine do? Did she stay? Did she go? Did, you know, I mean, uh, and there were a couple of options there as to what she might have done. So then by that time, I had become, you know, quite involved with the writing community. And so other author friends said, no, you've got to turn it into a series. You've got a ready-made audience there. So. Mm. I wrote the second book, which was considerably thinner, um, and that was um, Promises to Keep. And after I published that, I opened my email one morning, and there was a message that began, uh, Hello, Patricia, I'm a senior acquisitions editor with Amazon's Lake Union Publishing, and I've just finished reading your work, and we'd like to talk to you. Oh. And I thought, oh, my giddy ass. me, Here it on is. my chest. <laughs> I had my husband come and read the message because I thought it was scam. Yes. And he said, no, I think it's uh, the real deal. And indeed it was. So that was just a wonderful uh, experience to have happen. Amazon signed me to a contract. They bought the rights to my Provence books. Yeah. They relaunched the first two and then they published the third book, which uh, is I Promise You This. Yeah. And then they asked me to write a standalone novel. And I said, okay, I will, but... Uh, the protagonist is still going to be a mature woman mm-hmm. and the setting is still going to be in the South of France. Mm. I said, I'll move it I'll yeah. move it <laughs> to a slightly different location. So that's when uh, I chose Arles as yeah. the setting. And it just so happened an amazing coincidence that at that time we got an exchange request from a lovely couple in Arles. Oh. asking if we would like to go there for three weeks while they no. went to our house in Florida. Meant so, to be. I mean, exactly. Yes. Yeah. So we had visited Arl a couple of times yeah. just for a, a day here and um, a couple of days there. We stayed overnight a few times and really loved the area and, and Arl is just magic. Mm. So then we had a great three weeks there right across the street from uh, Les Arènes, the amphitheater. Oh, I mean, I looked gorgeous. out my window and there it was in I the mean, moonlight. And- you can get a really great sense of a place just from a few visits, but there's nothing like actually immersing yourself for an extended period of time to really be able to feel you can express that on paper, I imagine. Yeah, exactly. And also, you know, I've been a, a lifelong photographer, so, you know, I just spent days taking pictures everywhere and they entered this couple they were lovely because they were still there while we were in Arles they went and stayed with his parents because they wanted to go to our place in Florida at a different time oh okay year, yeah which okay. often happens with home exchange it's not necessarily a simultaneous exchange right and 
So they introduced me to a wonderful gentleman who was a photographer and had spent a lot of time in the Camargue. So I got to go to the Camargue with him a couple of days and and shoot with him and listen to him talk about that part of the world, which has its own unique personality. Yeah. So it was just really a wonderful opportunity to get so much research done in order to write the book. So that's how drawing lessons came to be. And of course, that's the second week of my tour. We stay in Arles. Yes. And yeah. And then I started hearing from readers saying, well, hey, what's going on with Catherine and all those characters? You know, we want to hear more about them. So that's how the Villa de Violette series came to be. Right. Okay. It's really fun when your readers get so engaged with the characters in your stories. Well, they become real people in your life. Like I, I've got yes. a number of series that I have read and those characters even now sometimes I might be gardening or something and they pop into my head and I imagine their life in a particular book of the series that I was thinking of and you know they become real they're in your head you know so to want to know what's next that doesn't surprise me that you get those kinds of um, questions from people. Can I ask you what is it about Provence that keeps drawing you back that particular part of France? Yeah. Well, uh, probably the weather, for starters. Yeah, yeah. I'm hearing you. And, I mean, because uh, I've been in many, we've visited many, many uh, of the uh, regions in France and love them all. It's such an amazing country. Yes. Every different part of the country, every département is uh, so unique, has its own personality, its own food, its own traditions. Yes. uh, Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. So I probably could very happily live anywhere in that country. But um, yeah, Provence just has its own magical draw. I mean, certainly the weather is wonderful, even Mm. in the winter. Mm. Uh, you know, it's just the way of life. It's slightly different, as you've probably noticed yourself. There's just a more of a laissez-faire yeah. attitude. You know, it's relaxed. And, more, I mean, it's Mediterranean, right? Yeah, more laconic, perhaps. Yeah. yeah. So it's it's a Mediterranean lifestyle, and the food is oh yes know, great yeah. and, and awesome the, food. You know, the rosé and everything. <laughs> So you must like the heat then? Yes, I don't mind the heat at all. That's the only thing for me is I love the cold. Love, love, love the cold. Mm. But I do adore Provence. It's just, yes. it, it is a magical, magical place. Well, that's right. And, I mean, you know, we talk about Provence and include uh, La Côte d'Azur because, in effect, it is part of Provence. But, in a way, it's separate too. You know, yeah. there's a the sun-kissed coast and Mediterranean living that you have there. But then there is the true Provence of the countryside. Yeah. You know, when you get up into into Saint-Rémy and, and all the areas in the Luberon and, right. and uh, right. the little villages up there. And, I mean, that's a different mindset again. Well, you know? I was going to ask you, what's your favourite part of Provence? Because it does provide such a varied experience from one side to the other, you know, and from top to bottom. It is quite different because the way that it's evolved over time culturally some of those areas are very distinct from each other you know very different so Mm -hmm. what's your fave where do you prefer to go just for yourself well just for myself I have to say Antibes Uh, I from the very 
moment that we were actually renting a a house in Biot for three months. Boy, I think it was probably 2006. And all of our grown kids were coming over at some point during the three months. No grandchildren, just our big kids. We wanted them to have a holiday. And they came, some came together, some came at different times, some overlapped. It was wonderful. But that was the first year that we really discovered Antibes. And there was just something so magical about the old town. Yeah. And uh, and when I'm there, I have blinders on, you know. I mean, oh. I know Antibes is a lot bigger yeah. than what I consider to be Antibes. But you have your own little pocket that you like. Yeah. I mean, the, the Vieville, the old town is mm. magic. And, of course, it's right on the Mediterranean. And, and uh, I do love to be near the sea. You know, we live on a big body of water here in Collingwood, where I live two hours north of Toronto. In Toronto, we lived right on Lake Ontario. So I'm used to having that. In Florida, we were, you know, minutes from the beach. So having the the sea close is important to me. Yeah. But I also do love to be up in the countryside and in, you know, in lavender country and Saint-Rémy-de-Provence is really my favorite place to stay in that part of uh, of France. Well, I've read that you take some women on some wonderful tours and you kind of alluded to that before when you said about the second week in your tour. Tell me what it's like travelling with a group of like-minded women, women who actually share that love through Provence because I imagine there'd be a lot of laughing and probably a fair amount of deep and meaningful conversation after a few vinos and some beautiful lifelong friendships made. Oui? Yes, well, you know, this year was really the eighth year that I've done these this tour. A, a travel agent approached me in the beginning and said, have you ever considered doing a women's tour based on your books? And so that's how it all started. And it's mm-hmm. such a joy to, first of all, share my passion for that part of the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, for the last three tours... Um, I've done it with a very close friend of mine, Deborah Bine, who is the uh, barefoot blogger. Yes. And she lives uh, part of the year in Uzez. Uh, uh, she's a great friend. We have such a good time together. And of course, we both share a passion for friends. So that's just been a joy. And every year, without fail, the group of women become such good friends. Yeah. It is such a pleasure to watch this happen. Mm. That's the best part of the tour is, is seeing these women who mostly don't know each other at yeah. the beginning. Yeah, Some come with a friend or two and uh, or a sister or a daughter, but it's a big tour, 16 to 18 women. Yeah. And uh, it's just a joy. They, um, I know that our love of the South of France is addictive. Yes. They all yes. say that, you know, I mean, they just get it when they hear us talk about it and when they see how we feel about where we are we spend the first week in nice do day trips every day and with you know the first day is in nice and uh, because we're right in a fabulous location right by the old town right across from the promenade they really get a sense of that amazing town and it's so easy to do day trips from there 
Uh, and this was very important to me. I only wanted to move once if we were doing a tour. I did not want to do a tour where you were packing and unpacking yes. every day or two. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm hearing you. Yeah. So, you know, you fly into Nice. Uh, we are there for six days and then we uh, go by private coach uh, and stop in Aix-en-Provence mm -hmm. and have a day there. Usually the market's on. We do the market. We usually do a Cezanne walking tour. Then we hop back on the bus. And an hour and a half later, the first few years we stayed in Avignon. Right. But then once I wrote drawing lessons, we switched the tour to the second uh, six days being in Arles. And again, it's, you know, day trips from there and very, very different. You know, it's one thing to be on the Côte d'Azur and then it's another thing to be in Arles. And to go into the Camargue, we do a jeep safari, and oh, uh, fantastic! You know, we visit we visit a, a women run olive oil mill, and um, oh. it's just great fun. Yeah. And yeah, I have to say, everybody loves it. Everyone has a great time. And as I say, these watching the friendships form. Not it's not that they all become my best friend or Deb's best friend. No, we love them all, and they love us, but. They have some they connect. great friendships. And yeah. we're watching now because we always have a WhatsApp group. Yeah. That's how we communicate when we're traveling. And the, the trip, the tour, I've been home now for three weeks from the last tour. They're all yakking to each other on WhatsApp and they're a bunch oh, of them are planning wonderful. to get together and yeah. yeah, a bunch of them are planning to get together in New Orleans next spring. And oh fantastic. So that's great. And, yeah. and I know that a lot of them will go back to France. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that's very satisfying. So obviously you wouldn't have been able to run the tours in the same fashion or as freely during COVID. Did you have to stop for that period or did you just keep going oh, in absolutely. pockets of time? Yeah, stop. Yes, yeah. yes. Yeah. And so have you noticed any change since COVID in this most recent trip than before? Yes, we actually did two tours this this year uh, because yep. of COVID. Yep. We did one in June. The, the tour in June was actually a group of women that traveled with us in 2018. Oh. They insisted that they wanted to go back with us. And we said, well, I mean, you can't go and do the same tour again. So we won't allow that. <laughs> so, uh, you know, we won't allow you to spend your money doing the same thing. So, um we talked to them about what they would like, and we planned a different tour for them. Oh, that's so and, cool. That's wonderful. Yeah. So that we did that one in June, and yeah. then we did our memories, memories tour in uh, September. So, yes, I mean, COVID shut everything down, right? I mean, just yeah. like you guys. Yes. Yeah. yeah. On the other side of the world. It was yeah. a terrible time. It, it was And that's why my husband and I left Toronto. That's uh, – yeah. Why we decided to move up to this smaller um, ski town where we used to have a place up here. So it was very familiar to us. Yeah. I didn't want to be locked down in the city. No. Well, I live in Melbourne where we had the longest lockdown of anywhere in the world. And it's. Uh, oh, you did? Yeah. But, you know, actually talking to people in other places. And I actually started this podcast during COVID so that uh, I wouldn't kill my family, really. No, <laughs> in lock, being locked down with them. But it's just, a, you know, that was an escape. And we all tried to find an escape during that time. And I love that now that people are freer to go and do things, that those little things that provide an escape we can now go and explore those passions. You know, those women saying, we want to go and do what we did before. We want to be back with you. What they're doing is really saying, I want to grab my 
life that I love, which is getting to the south of France, and I want to shake the hell out of it and enjoy it, you know? And isn't that awesome that they actually connected with you to do that? Yeah, it was. It was really, really wonderful. Yeah. So clearly Provence is your favourite region of France, but you mentioned before that you have travelled to lots of other areas of France. So is there any other that is your, let's say, your second fave? It's the bridesmaid. <laughs> well, of course, there's always Paris. Yes. And frequently, if I'm going over for a tour, I'll spend some time in Paris, either before or after. Right. And um, when my husband and I've gone uh, over to do an exchange, we've often gone to Paris uh, for a week before we went to wherever we were going to be for the rest of the time. And one year, actually, I was researching for book three in the Love and Provence series. Mm-hmm. Um, I promise you this. Yeah. And in that book, Kat and Philippe spend a bit of time. Oh, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it was the second book. Anyway, either the second or third book. Um, they spend some time in the Loire Valley. Right. And so we did that one year. And went and stayed in a small chateau and traveled around. And again, you know, I I did a bunch of research and that was wonderful. And then one year we spent a week in uh, Normandy. Yeah. And we did all the, uh, you know, the tours of the landing beaches, Mm -hmm. which I think is something that everybody should do. Yes. Yes. Such a wonderful reminder of the price of democracy and how important it is and the sacrifices that all these young people made during the war yeah and we went and actually found my uncle's grave <gasps> no really he had been killed right after d-day oh uh, he was a, a gunner a canadian over in england uh, yeah. flying with the air force right and he was a gunner in a lancaster bomber and yeah. they went to do their last bombing run and they were shot down oh no and he was buried in a uh, well, we didn't really know exactly where he was because no one had it wasn't that they didn't care, but you know the documentation parents, wasn't what it is now. Yeah, and my parents' generation was different mm. in terms of traveling. Mm. So I mean, we never forgot about him we had pictures of him in our mm. home all the time. Mm. But I made it a point to contact the Canadian government and try to find out exactly where he was. And he wasn't in one of the large Canadian or allied cemeteries. Okay. And so it turned out to be a bit of an adventure finding this tiny allied cemetery because the allied cemeteries have a special cross and and, uh, sculpture in them. Yes. So this one was in the middle of uh, rural France, uh, outside Cambrai. Mm-hmm. And um, all of the people buried there were from World War I, mm-hmm. except for the six crew members of his plane. Really? And it was just this tiny allied cemetery with a stone fence around it and cows yes. looking over the fence at yes. us while we yes. were there. And when I wrote to the government afterwards and thought what to ask, why were they there? And they said that back when they were recovering the bodies, they tried to bury them. Uh, when, when they were shot down, the townspeople buried them there. And so when they actually made the official cemeteries, um, they kept them cl- as close to where they were shot down as possible. Yeah. And that, that is why they didn't move them to one of the bigger 
cemetery. So it was it was very moving, yes. very very emotional. And it does sound like a very peaceful place to be laid to rest. It was, yeah. really. It truly was. I think that period of war, we probably can't understand what it's like to live as an adult in that period and then when you were at the end, probably documenting those things was not high on their list of priorities. It was probably to have the respect for these men and give them the best possible farewell that they could. And so mm-hmm. I'm glad that they were buried at least with their other allies. That's something. Yes. For Australians, we often travel to a little village in that region called Villas Bretner. And Villas Bretner is a is a village that was saved by the Australians at the end of the war. And they now still in that village, when you visit there, if they find out you're Australian, they still have Australian flags in lots of the windows of the houses. The primary school yes. still has to not forget the Australians written on the lunch shed on the on the top of it. There's lots of different kinds of allied cemeteries and big memorials that are around in the countryside. But it's the people. We were there and they heard our voice outside this little cafe in the morning and we were looking for somewhere for breakfast and they weren't open and they popped their head out and said, but are you Australian? And we said, yes. They said, oh, no, no, you come in, you come in, we'll feed you. And so they did and it was just really lovely that even all these years later, those parts of France are still thankful to, you know, all of the Allies for actually coming in and, and supporting them during that time. It's very special. Absolutely. Yes, you're absolutely right. We have the same experience people saw that we were Canadian mm. or heard that we were Canadian yeah. uh, and and we had some amazing conversations with people uh, often younger people who who weren't in the war but yes. their grandparents or their parents were yeah. and they said we will never forget because yeah. you know I mean the occupation was a terrible yeah. terrible time yeah. and yeah. those stories have filtered through every generation and the gratitude and respect is still there. Yeah, and yeah. It, it is a, just a very humbling and uh, amazing experience yeah, to, yeah. Uh, to visit oh, there. Completely agree. And I, I found the connection that then we had with them was quite profound in some ways. It was, it was something mm-hmm. I wasn't, wasn't prepared for. It was really beautiful. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I did not realise how, how emotional an experience it would be. Yeah. Yeah. So there are a few questions we ask on almost every episode of The Little Bells Francophiles. Describe for me your perfect French day. What would that look like? (laughs) Well, I know exactly what it's like because I have lived it so many times. Oh, fabulous. Um, I love to hear that. And, and, uh, you know, I would wake up probably around 6.30 or 7.00. And uh, I would you know, hop on my computer and check into social media, you know, with the time difference and everything. And I might do some writing for an hour or so. But by eight o'clock, I will be out the door with my panier right. to, uh, to go to the market. And uh, in my panier, I'll have my camera, my little French English dictionary, and my husband will know that when he wakes up, because he won't be awake then, mm-hmm. uh, that if he wants to find me, he knows where I'll be at 1030 if we're in Antibes. Mm. So I'll go wander through town, uh, through the village and, you know, the restaurants will just be opening up and there's all that wonderful uh, cacophony of tables and chairs being set up outside, yeah. and, you know, 
people yelling at each other to do this or do that, or somebody will be whistling and, and uh, all the early morning noises. So I'll walk through, I'll take a lot of photos and I'll end up at the marché, pick up what I think we're going to want for lunch and or dinner. And dawdle, of course, yeah. looking at all the wonderful displays of fresh produce and cheeses. And and then I would go to um, the Tabac oui. near the uh, Café Le, Le Vieil Antibes, mm-hmm. which is uh, where I like to go and sit because you've got sort of two ways to look to see what's going on. And in one square, usually they're setting up for a brocante. And, oh. and in the other, the cafes are starting to fill up with, you know, the early morning coffee drinkers. And so I go to the tobacco, I pick up my copy of Nice Matin. Right. And then I sit there with my Té Citron and uh, my dictionary and uh, read the news. And my husband would either join me or not. And that's how my day would start. And oh, sounds um, idyllic <laughs> to me. Yes. Yeah. You know what? It never gets old. No. No, that yeah. sounds just beautiful. Are you fluent in French? <laughs> well, I would love to say I'm fluent, but I'm not. Mm-hmm. I love to speak French. I did uh, teach French immersion in early grades, mm-hmm. grades one, two, and three. So we're really good basic vocabulary. Yeah. And, uh, when you know what, don't you find when you're there, you just automatically fall into it. Absolutely. You know? Tout de fait. And, and I often say that I speak franglais because I do <laughs> fall into it and I do speak it when I'm there. But it does take a bit of thinking when I'm not immersed in the language all around me. Yeah. It's a beautiful language. I really, I I love speaking French and I love hearing it spoken. Love hearing Uh, it. Yes. Yes. What's your favourite French food? You talked about the cafes there. What's your favourite French food in a French restaurant or perhaps when you're making French food at home? (laughs) Well, I'll tell you, I make French food at home. As little as possible. Yeah. <laughs> uh, particularly since I began writing, I would much rather write than cook. I like to stick to uh, soups and salads and uh, throwing a steak on the barbecue. Right. Uh, I, I'm really not uh, someone who's fond of being in the kitchen. I'm quite similar, which is why I have a husband that cooks beautifully. So, yeah. Well, that's yeah. wonderful. Yeah. I unfortunately don't have a husband who cooks beautifully, <laughs> but he loves to eat out. So that's fine with me. Yeah. But I don't think there's anything that I don't like. Or maybe cassoulet. Oh. I'm not a fan of cassoulet because I don't like lentils and, and beans, that sort of thing. Right. But um, I love, give me a good uh, salade de chèvre chaude. Oh, I love. Yes. Uh, and moule frites. Yes. I'm a big fan of moule frites. Yes, same. Wifey. And uh, oh, just so many things. I eat a lot of duck when I'm in France, you know, because right. they just have a way. And I don't mean duck confit, but, you know, um, duck à l'orange. And, and, in everything. Oui. You know. mm-hmm. We don't have nearly as much duck in Australia. When I'm in France, I eat duck all the time. Love it. Love it. Mm-hmm. We might share in the blog the recipe for your salade de chèvre chaude, I think. Oh, okay, yeah. Do you want me to send you a link to my favourite way to do it? Oh, yeah, that would be awesome. Okay. Because, be- you know, it, they tend to be different restaurants have different ways of putting together 
that's the lot of sugar showed. And uh, some are better than others. Well, I think we will share your salade de chef rochaud on okay. uh, on the website because if you can okay. make it at home in Australia, we can't buy that very readily. So, yeah, great for us to be able to find oh, that. Oh, well, it's so easy to do yourself. I mean, it's just a piece of cake. Oh, that would be awesome. Do you listen to French music at all? I do. I listen to French music a lot. I do have a really, I love a lot of uh, different French singers, but one uh, young woman in particular that I, I discovered, well, when I was writing The Promise of Provence, so that would have been, you know, um, eight years ago or so, and um, her name is Zaz. Oh, I love Zaz. Zaz. Yeah. I adore Zaz. I just love her voice. I, I love everything that she does. And uh, actually, I just posted a new reel yesterday on Instagram, and it's Zaz singing. It's one of her songs, Tu Lao, which is at the moment my current favorite of all her songs because the word, the lyrics are just wonderful. Well, we so, might put uh, yes. that on the Lutabelle's Francophiles Frenchy Spotify playlist, I think. That would be a, a great addition. Okay. I will pop that song on there for the listeners to connect with because I think listening to French music, I find it such a good way to bring a little calmness and serenity into my day, especially when I'm driving or just, you know, doing other things around the house. I'll have it playing. But it's also a really great way to keep connected to the language if you're trying to learn French or if you're actually trying to be fluent or pick up new phrases. Perfect. Well, merci beaucoup for spending this time with us today, Patricia Sands, and for sharing such an amazing and wonderful story of your Provence with us all. My pleasure. Anytime. Alors, c'est tout et c'est la fin aujourd'hui. That is all for another Lulabelle's Francophiles episode. I hope you're enjoying being transported to France via our podcast chats with some brilliant guests and their French stories. To be notified when new episodes are released, subscribe on your favourite podcast platform or follow Lulabelle's Francophiles on Insta. That's where you'll also find lots of my personal French photos as well as some from our Lulabelle's Francophiles guests. You can now also subscribe to my YouTube channel, The Francophile Fix, where I'll post little movies and clips to keep your Frenchy vibes going. For all of the links from today's chat, including the links to Patricia's books and tour details, can we put those on there as well, Patricia? Mm-hmm. Sure. Brilliant. Yeah, absolutely. As well as her fave music, Everset, head to the Little Bells Francophiles website to blog post number 81. Episode 81. The website link is in the show notes for today's episode as well. Come and join me next time on the Little Bells Francophiles and together we can stay connected to one of our fave destinations, France. Au revoir et merci encore, Patricia. Anytime. Anytime at all. It's my pleasure. Au revoir de moi, Louise Prichard. Bonne journée et à bientôt, mes amis.